You're listening to the Blue Angel Phantoms Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Notoff, and I interview former Blue Angel pilots and crew. However, this episode is going to be slightly different. Instead of doing a career retrospective, today we're going to focus on the Blue Angels transition all the way back in 1974, away from the F-4 Phantom and to the A-4 Skyhawk. Now to do this, I'm going to enlist some old interview footage with Jerry Turkey Tucker, who was the opposing solo for that last year in 1973 with the F-4 Phantoms, and then later transitioned to the lead solo role for the first year with the A-4 Skyhawk in 1974. Now, if you've been following the team in the current day, you're probably aware that the Blue Angels are transitioning to the F-18 Super Hornet. This will be the first time the Blue Angels are flying a new aircraft since 1987, and it's a much celebrated transition. That was not the case back in 1973 when the Blue Angels made the decision to transition to the A-4 Skyhawk. Now, 1973 was a terrible year for the Blue Angels. They actually lost six different aircraft in a variety of different accidents, including at Lakehurst, New Jersey, in July of that year, where the team lost two of those F-4 Phantoms and three team members, including boss Skip Umstead. Now, this is definitely a difficult topic to discuss, but Jerry does it in such an authentic and sensitive way that I am going to share it here on this podcast. So Jerry's going to discuss those terrible events of 1973, and then he's going to share the team's transition process as they sourced a new aircraft and how they decided on the A-4 Skyhawk as their platform of choice for 1974. He's then going to discuss the key differences between the F-4 Phantom and the A-4 Skyhawk and some of the more positive changes that came out of the team's transition to the A-4 Skyhawk, including the team being reorganized as a naval squadron. Now, to kick off the discussion, as mentioned, Jerry is going to recall the terrible events that took place at Lakehurst, New Jersey in 1973. We were going to Lakehurst from Pensacola. We stopped in Lakehurst, uh, stopped in uh, Oceana for, for fuel. Um, and uh, Mike Murphy, who was the slot pilot, Captain Mike Murphy, our Marine Corps, uh, one of the Marine Corps, we still had two. Uh, John Fogg was on the left wing and uh, Mike was on the, uh, on the slot. His airplane had a hydraulic failure, a utility hydraulic failure. So they left the the Albert, Fat Albert, uh, and the maintenance guys with uh, with there. He took my airplane and he took it up and left me there with his airplane to be fixed. And they just replaced the pump right there. They, they, our maintenance was phenomenal, and they and they checked it, and, and I was getting ready to go. Now, also, I think it was uh, Marlon Weida was flying in Steve's back seat, Steve Lambert's back seat at that time, because we were down an airplane because of uh, Lake Charles, so we were only having fighting anyway. So they left me behind. They went off to Lakehurst to do uh, the arrival and get checkpoints and do arrival maneuvers, and I was supposed to just come up and and I'd orbit a couple times and get my checkpoints. And uh, when I got there, because I didn't didn't need any more than that. Well, I just uh, got to the end of the runway, and uh, the tower called and said, uh, "The narrator, your narrator, just called, and they want you to come back and take a phone call." Well, that's unusual. Uh, what about Albert? I'd like Albert to go head on up to Lakehurst. Uh, I said, "There's been an accident." He told us, told me that over the air. So okay, so I went back, went in, and took the call from Smoke, and he told me what had happened. He had. Uh, they were doing a little V roll and Skip rolled too low. The top was low. And when he was coming out of it, um, they were, Mike Murphy was on the right wing now because it was little V. It was, meaning uh, instead of being slot, he was on the right wing. Foggy was on the left wing, uh, John Fogg. Steve was doing single solo, uh, just getting the solo checkpoints with Marlon Wida, who was normally number two in the back seat. Uh, he was clipping the treetops at the, uh, when he bot- bottomed the thing out. The tendency in formation, is to not get wider when things get dicey, but to get closer. Because if you 
because we trusted each other implicitly. And if you're, if, if, if you make it, he makes it, you're going to make it. It's just that simple. So they were just kind of tipping treetops. Well, Murph got really, really close. Foggy had seen this before because he was, um, he was in the trail loop accident and he bailed out of the maneuver. He just pulled off and, and pulled out before they even got to the bottom. He knew something was screwed up. Murph stayed right there and then he got a little PIO and he came up and hit Skip at the UHT. Uh, the UHT is the tail, the thing that in the back, the, the elevator in the Phantom, the whole thing moved. It was kind of had anhedral, which where it went down. Well, it stuck into Murph and it broke the right side off. Well, that immediately flipped Skip over on his back. Murph went straight ahead for two miles, two and a half miles with Ron Thomas in his backseater. Uh, went straight ahead and... Um, and uh, never ejected. He just hit it, went into the ground on a, on a ridge line far, uh, two miles away. Ron attempted ejection when they were, he saw they were going to crash. So he tried, he didn't make it. He didn't, it was, he waited too long. Um, Skip, when, being an old solo pilot, he got flipped upside down. And as soon as he did, he started pushing to get away from the ground. When he did, because of the UH-10, it started to roll. He initiated ejection as soon as it started to roll. Well, it rolled so fast that Jerry Harvey, the backseater, he was in dual mode, uh, normal mode, uh, not airshow mode. He came out, his chute came out, streamed, caught a tree. The tree broke and bent and broke as he hit the ground. Not a scratch. No chute, 400 knot ejection, not a scratch. Skip's ejection, uh, it started up the rails and only got about that far and just killed him. Foggy came in and land when Steve landed, and then they call me. So I just stayed. They told me to just stay there, not even go to Lakehurst. Uh, we had two leader applicants um, for the following year were at Oceana, and they were at the tower. Uh, they came and saw us off and stayed around for some reason. I'm not exactly sure why they changed, but uh, when, that, when I saw that, it, it, the guy saw us, the CEO saw it, the applicant saw that I was a little upset. And, and he took me home with him. He said, they, they just wanted me to stay there and they'd know tomorrow. They'd get their ducks in a row and come back through tomorrow and, and we'd know what to do. So he took me home. And I stayed with them that night and then uh, went back to Pensacola the next day. After that, we, uh, you know, we were just reeling with what, what to do next because we lost Skip, we lost Murph, we lost Ron Thomas. You know, the, the, uh, the future, the the team was right on edge. We weren't sure if it was going to be around anymore. So they took us back. They sent uh, Adam, uh, Luch Adam. Luch Adam was a former lead, solo, uh, former solo pilot, uh, former CEO. They sent him down uh, as adult leadership just to kind of keep things under control. Uh, I don't know if, he, if he'd been a cagger so yet, but just a f really neat guy. Uh, he came down. Uh, Whitey Feitner came down. Whitey's an old ex. Um, God, there was two or three others. Admiral Ferris, Jim Ferris, was our our boss uh, at uh, Chief of Naval Air Training, and he was a rear admiral, Jim Ferris. Um, and they were the ones making the decisions. Uh, the CNO at the time was uh, Admiral Zumwalt, um, and he won. He knew the team was important. He knew as a recruiting tool, if nothing else, as a recruiting tool, it was just way too important. And he's a black shoe. He was a, a boat driver. He wasn't even a, an aviator. Uh, so there were there, there was a lot a lot a lot of calls to disband. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. He said it is worth it. It's important that we keep that for the Navy. I mean, how else are we going to get the something that's impressive to the people in Iowa and in the Midwest and the people that can't see ships? 
uh, can't see uh, naval aviation. This brings that to them. It brings them to the Navy. We have to do that. But we don't have to stay in the Phantom. So they decided to change airplanes, make it a squadron. They had the accident report came about. Uh, and we, once we decided uh, what we're going to do, I went, uh, I flew uh, the A7, drove over to Cecil, showed up on Friday, and I had 15 hours under my belt by uh, Tuesday afternoon. And uh, came back with my recommendations in the A7. Steve Lambert went and flew the A4. Uh, some weasel, uh, Mark, uh, Marlon Weida went up. I think he flew the T2, I think. They were even looking at that. Um, they, t- they talked about the F-14, but there was no way. That was too expensive. And we weren't. And it was too new. I mean, they were just had the rag out here. They didn't even have any fleet squadrons yet. So that wasn't going to happen. And then they made the decision that it was going to be the A4, which was the best choice. Uh, the A7 was uh, had too many hiccupy things, underpowered, and um, if you lost a stab under G, it could go right in the ground. It, it was an odd, odd airplane for for that environment only. It's a great airplane. That environment, it would have, we'd have had to change way too many things, and it really wouldn't have been able to demonstrate the airplane properly. A4 was an, age, an aging airplane, uh, excess of them around. It was toward the end of the war, so A7s were replacing them so we could get them, and they were cheap. And uh, so I think that, and, and it was going to be a much simpler airplane to fly. Maintenance got cut in half, went from 150 people to 80 people on the whole, the whole enlisted cadre, I believe is, was the number, <clears throat> or 80 to 40, but I, they cut it in half. Really easy to maintain. And uh, we, the last flight of the Phantom was John Fogg, Marlon Weida, and myself. And um, since I was a leader, uh, you know, being a lead solo, I, I took him. To uh, Cherry Point, uh, we flew up and turned them over to Ch- the Marines at Cherry Point. On the way, we got vectored. We didn't have radar. Got vectored into a thunderstorm. Got struck by lightning on the last flight. The lightning went hit my airplane. Went out both wingtips. Burnt my nose and burnt Marlin Marlin's nose. And, and Foggy had a, had a mark on the airplane where the lightning hit me and then went out to them. Just couldn't leave us alone. <laughs> Making a point, I guess. Uh, but we got there okay, landed, and they took the airplane, and I don't even know what happened to them after that. I think one of them, one of them wound up at the Pax River and some other things. It was really, then, of course, we had, had to fly in all over, all the funerals and stuff we had to go to, flew all over the country. Uh, Mike Murphy's dad is an Army general, uh, general, Air Force general from World War II. He was uh, one of the ones that made general in about two years, or made colonel in two years, and then when the war was over, they were kicked a bunch of them back, but he was a very, very capable man, so they, they kept him and, uh, and made him, he stayed a colonel for 20 years, and then they made him a general. But he was, he was a, a, a really good officer, really good for the Air Force. Um, Skip was from, uh, he's buried in, uh, in uh, Pensacola at Brancas, uh, but saw a bunch, met a bunch of his family, really, really neat people. Hard time. Up next, I asked Jerry to share some insight into the actual structural changes that took place with the Blue Angels after they transitioned from the F-4 Phantom to the A-4 Skyhawk, and this is what he had to say. The, uh, the, first, the first season was pretty traumatic uh, with uh, uh, my best friend, three of my best friends killed. Uh, well, two and Ron, I was pretty close to Ron, too. Ron Thomas was enlisted, but uh, Murph and, and, and Skip, Skip especially, was... Uh, uh, really a special guy. Uh, that was hard. That was very difficult. And then, uh, and, and Ron Thomas, uh, AME, he was a, he was a cool guy. He was really a lot of fun. Uh, 
uh, good crew chief, uh, really, really good sailor, really was. Um, and then to go to all the all of the funerals, uh, go through those, uh, go through those, the services and the and the burial, and that was very hard. Uh, and then the reorganization of the team, the transition to airplanes. We did reorganize it, became a squadron. It no longer was a team. It became the, the Blue Angel Squadron now. Getting the change, getting a new CO in that now is a commanding officer and not, not, not an officer in charge. Not exactly a Navy squadron because it doesn't have an executive officer. We had, to, we brought in an admin officer to help. All part of the things from the accident report, the fact that there was just too much going on. There was just too much and it just was overwhelming. Accumulative, accumulative fatigue is what they attributed it all for. It was part of our error, obviously, but it accumulated fatigue. So getting that organized, then getting the air show, re- redoing the air show because it's a new airplane, uh, new maneuvers. Uh, how are we going to do the old maneuvers in, in this airplane? What the speeds are? Uh, the Phantom, everything was at 500 knots and one, one maneuver is 550 knots. Uh, this one is not. This was 400 knots was the best roll rate and 450 for one maneuver. But you had to find that. You know, and, and none of us had flown that airplane. I mean, this the A4 was a new airplane for all of us. I don't think any of us had any A4 time. And and then we did. We came up with a couple maneuvers uh, that were new that that really uh, showcased the, uh, the Skyhawk, the A4 Skyhawk. Then going through the training as lead solo, I really I don't know. I probably maybe I overstepped my bounds, but I really accepted and felt uh, responsibility to make sure nobody died. I just wasn't going to let it happen again. Tony Les, he is such a prince. He was our first leader uh, in the A4 and the first commanding officer of the Blues. Uh, I probably didn't handle after it. After the accident. After the accident, that's right. Before, Skip was a, uh, was an officer in charge. They commissioned it uh, as a squadron, and Tony uh, Tony Les, Admiral Les, uh, was a commander, uh, a Bobby Sox uh, skipper, which means he uh, he was skipper of a squadron as a lieutenant commander. Uh, there were three of them. He, Casey Jones was another one, and uh, there were a couple of others. But those were the two, two of the Bobby Soxers who wound up being leaders of the Blues, because, just because of timing, because they were up for a bonus command and they were still too junior to do some of the other things. Uh, Tony Les, who uh, was a commander at the time, came in as the leader, a uh, uh, commanding officer and leader of the Blue Angels. He uh, had a, a really good leadership style. He was a very calm Fun-loving guy, young at heart, still as young at heart, and he put up with my BS. I mean, because I I probably took a lot uh, more internal and on making sure that everything was done right and I uh, safely. I just after going through the war, losing guys there, and then losing those three guys in six airplanes in one year, I, I was a little gun shy, and I wasn't going to let it happen again. Because I didn't have enough say before. Now I was in a position of leadership, and I was going to make sure it didn't happen. So uh, I listened. I really did. I listened to my opposing solo. Vance Parker came in as my opposing solo. Well, probably one of the best. Uh, he and my opposing solo in 79 were the best naval aviators I've ever flown with. Bar none. I mean, and I flew with some really, really good ones. They're phenomenal aviators. And both of them... Uh, understood what, where I came from, and they knew I had nothing but their best interest at heart, and they let me do it. I wrote a, uh, an SOP, uh, a standard operating procedure that set altitudes for maneuvers, uh, and, it, and so that we could, in, in fact, document what we were doing and how to do it every year uh, and define terms. Uh, we defined a term, a yug, 
A yug is, is what we call, before you did a maneuver, you pop the stick. That's all it is, is a yug. It's just a pop. It's, sometimes it get, just gets the nose started up. Airplane doesn't move up. It just gets the nose in that attitude, and then you do whatever you do, and you're going the right direction now. Um, that would never been defined, so we defined it. How to do the rolls. How did, uh, uh, who was responsible for what? How you, what set on was? And what crowd? What, what is crowd? How close you are to each other as a crowd? Uh, set on. When, when you do maneuvers as a solo, that's set on. Up. How much up you go. Depends on how high you are and how far out you are. The air show's designed at 1,000 feet to the, 1,500 feet to the center line. Uh, we, we had to get all those things on writing and we trained to them and we wouldn't not train to them. We wouldn't do maneuvers that were outside of them. Uh, and I, um, I just got too tense at times, but Tony would take me aside and pat me on the back and, and he, he was able to calm me down 99 and 9 10% of the time and never jumped in my shit. I mean, he could have, a lot of leaders would have, but he had a different way about it. And uh, I, I thank him to this day for that. His patience. It was really cool. And because of that, we were able, we got through a really good season. The first season, we had no accidents, no incidents. We had good, good air shows. Uh, and we had a lot of fun. Up next, Jerry tells us about some of the key differences between flying the F-4 Phantom and the A-4 Skyhawk in a Blue Angels demo and some of the key modifications the team had to make to the airplane, mainly the fuel cell, so that it could fly inverted during flight. He also shares a couple close calls he had during his time flying the A-4 Skyhawk. The airplane um, was a phenomenal airplane, and it really is probably the best airshow airplane they've had. Now, that's going to rub some phantom guys the wrong way but this airplane with the the, the big engine in it uh, p420 i think it was it had a 720 degree per second roll rate whereas the phantom was 420 degrees per second so it rolled a lot faster better than one to one thrust to weight ratio in the airplane without afterburner when you're light you had to be down about a thousand pounds but that the engine uh, that p420 engine was a phenomenal engine um bolted the uh, the airplane had slats, which uh, were gravity controlled. They just fell down. When you get below a certain airspeed, they would go down and it would in, you know, slow, your, slow uh, give you a lower stall speed of about two to three knots is all. But in our environment, uh, you could we could get one out at a time and you didn't want that. Uh, and we could lock them out by accident, uh, by G. You get the thing out by G and then you're going too fast for it to come up. It was over center and it wouldn't come up. So we bolted them up. We only lost, like I said, three knots of uh, stall speed uh, higher than the other, which was not really a factor. The airplane was so controllable. It had, uh, had an inverted uh, fuel tank. Uh, it was about this big, probably. Uh, it had flapper valves all over it. And when you rolled inverted, the flapper valves were supposed to shut and trap a minute of fuel at normal power settings so that you had fuel. Oil was not a problem in, in the newer jets. Uh, flying inverted oil is not a problem anymore, uh, like it is in some props and some older other airplanes. But uh, fuel is. You have to have gas when you're upside down. And uh, that was a okay plan, except when we were in winter training, uh, they were modifying our airplanes, and I was out in, in a T with, with Vance Parker, who became uh, the solo pilot. Uh, with me. He was my opposing solo in 19, uh, for the 74 season. 
And uh, we were practicing, vert I was practicing inverted, rolled upside down. Um, 10, 15 seconds into inverted, uh, the engine quit. And I was only about 100 feet. So that's the loudest quiet you will ever hear is a, an engine that stops when you're that low to the ground. So I, uh, it's all reactive, pushed out, got it right side up, came around the horn, hit the button, relit it, and it relit. But I'm, when, by the time I came out, it was a southerly run, so I'm, I'm aimed right at the field. So I went right on back in and landed. And what had happened was the, um, the uh, two of the flapper valves, the springs that pop them shut, had broken, and it stuck them open. So when it went, up, went upside down, they stayed open, and all the gas ran out. So it was fuel starvation. As soon as I flew, uh, got it right side up, Got, and the fuel filled it up again, and so it started running when I relit the engine. So uh, we knew we had to change the fuel cells. Uh, so we went to McDonnell Douglas, told them we had the problem we had. We needed a, uh, some new, uh, a, a new type of fuel system in the airplane for inverted flight to give us inverted flight of at least, at least a minute at full power. Uh, if they're going to redo it, we want at least that. So they came up with a plan that had um, uh, the main tank, which was probably about this tall, maybe and about that big and that big, it sat behind the pilot and had a standpipe in it that came up in baffles to kind of keep it from flopping around. And the standpipe came to the top and had a little uh, kind of blunderbuss look at the top of the thing. Well, they wouldn't let me just do the uh, flight test. So they brought TPS out, uh, test pilot school uh, pilots out uh, to Edwards Air Force Base. Uh, they modified the air on airplane at, uh, at Long Beach. Flew it to Edwards. Uh, they came out, and I and I came over from winter training to to be with them, um, just, just as, as a as another pilot. And I flew Chase on it while uh, they went on their range and did the inverted. And the guy got it out there and he rolled it upside down, and uh, the engine quit. And he, he got it right side up and got it relit. And we came back in and landed right away. And uh, asked the engineers to meet us in the in the conference room there and. Uh, at Palmdale's, which is where we were staging out of. And he came in, he had you know, his bow tie and his pocket protector and his slide roll and came in and sat down. It was the guy that uh, designed the original fuel system for the A-4. I mean, it's from 1952 time frame, 54, when that airplane came out, when it was designed. And he rolled the thing out and I was standing there and looked and I said, well, Lord, that's why it quit. And he said, what? What do you mean? He says, well, the bells comes, there's nothing above it. I mean, we go zero G when... We roll inverted, and if you if you do that zero g, you're going to take a big gulp of air because there's nothing to keep above that that thing that collects the gas down there. You roll upside down; it's just air uh, before the air the fuel can get in the holes at the bottom to fill it in. So, well, I wasn't asked to get you inverted; I was just asked to fly, let you fly inverted. Oh well. Thank you. Uh, we need to go back to the drawing boards on this. I have to get inverted too. So they, they okay. And I mean, we didn't raise our voice till he left the room. Uh, the TPS guys just kind of giggled about it, and um, they they went back and they came out with one that had a, a, a pressure tank in it that gave us, I think it's ten minutes of fuel at full power, but it was it was pressurized and and it was fed all the time from um, fuel system. And that one was phenomenal. We, uh, I remember, we took off from Pensacola and flew from Pensacola all the way to Mobile, inverted in the back row. Just as soon as we got 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 going toward Mobile, which is fifty miles or so, and never had a hiccup, not a hiccup with the fuel. So that that issue was gone. Another problem they had was the uh, uh, the pull. The, the A four was very very light nosed. 
uh, even full nose down. And the A4, when you when you trim it, you trim the stab down, and then um, you're repositioning it. Uh, when you pull, then you got the elevator on the back of it. It's not a supersonic airplane, so that it can do that. And uh, so we uh, we would trim it up one spot, and then you you can't trim full nose down because then you don't have enough authority because trim full nose down, the tail's like this, and this thing comes up. Well, you you, just, you don't have enough uh, control authority to do anything. Uh, so they had to come up with a new system. And they were extremely reluctant. And as it turns out, the engineer, we got the engineer that designed it, and it, it had a bunch of bob weights and stuff is the way they had the, had the trim. And uh, he said, we really don't want to touch it because we had a heck of a time getting this thing to work in the first place. And we hit on this by accident. I mean, uh, this bob weight thing was a a fluke. It's just something that happened one day by a mistake, and we didn't realize until the guy said, hey, it's perfect. So what? They looked and saw it was really goofy, but they left it that way, and it worked fine forever. Well, they had to come up with something. So we figured out, we set the trim at one degree nose up. Yeah, one degree nose up, I think. And then they did put a weight, a, a spring system in past that, that would pull, pull it against the deck. But you did trim it, you didn't uh, do anything with trim. You trimmed it to one degree nose up and left it alone. Or one degree nose down, one of the two, I can't remember. It had some other things that were a little unusual. It had, uh, you could disconnect the airplane and it would disconnect all the hydraulics from the roll and the pitch. And they swore to us that you could never only disconnect one. Well, I took off in a dirty roll and started to roll. It was like it was set in concrete because it had disconnected only the roll and not the pitch. So it could be, you know, Murphy's Law. If it can happen, it will. We did bolt the slats. Uh, low transition uh, was fun in the airplane. It, it just it was so controllable. The dirty roll was a little different. In the Phantom, you had to point, pull the the Phantom, the F4 Phantom, a dirty roll. You had to pull the nose up, and then you had to wait a little bit before you started the roll because the airplane kind of fell out of the sky when you did it. It lost lift and it fell down. The A4 rolled so fast you could sit there and roll and climb. I mean, it didn't do anything. So to do the dirty roll, you had to uh, pull the power back. A little bit and then when you got inverted you had to pull it back toward the ground to make it look a little scary uh, and it, it was unbelievably controllable the only problem i had is i i, I overdid it one day and on the top and when i came out i was really two nose and i knew i was going to hit the ground so i just did everything i could started trim a little bit and pulled back as hard as I could and i was really lucky i i was at el toro and it was uh, it was a cross taxiway where you left the runway. It was a very wide, very short runway. You know, I was like a twenty-five or fifty foot long, and I touched down right in the middle of that and bounced back in the air. So it was just like a touch and go. Damaged the plane? No, it was like a touch and go. It was just like a touch. You know, you go out and do touch and goes all the time. Landing practice. If it had missed, I'd have been out in the dirt, and that probably wouldn't have been too cold. But uh, I, it wasn't. I, I tell everybody I planned it that way, but. I think everybody knows different. Uh, and it was just, I just overdid it. I just drove it a little too hard and to make it look scary. Other side of it, Harry Gann, who was a photographer that took a lot of pictures of the blues, and uh, Jim Preston, our photographer, were standing right there. And I might have been grandstanding a little bit too for them. <laughs> but Jim grabbed Harry and pulled him out of the way so I didn't land on him. That show, my dad and mom were there uh, sitting with the, uh, the commanding general of uh of el toro in the vip section and uh the general looked at dad and said did he hit the ground and dad says i think he did <laughs> but i'm not the only one i guess uh, uh steve shoemaker 
did the same thing in the Phantom and uh, asked the boss and the boss said, uh, and I did the same, same thing. Boss, I think I hit the ground. He said, are you okay? Said, yes, sir. He said, let's go. Join up. Let's go. Uh, Steve was a little more, a little cooler. Says, boss, it was interesting. I think I touched down on that dirty roll. He says, were you hurt? He said, no, sir, but I was really scared. <laughs> said, you okay? Yes, sir. Let's go. So way we did. Both of us just we kept on with the show. Uh, and it didn't hurt a thing. Didn't hurt, didn't hurt a thing. I mean, it was a normal touchdown. I mean, the airplanes stressed. The A-4 is stressed. For, and the Phantom as well. To be dropped from about 20 feet with nothing. Just dropped. And this, this was a controlled landing, basically. Um, I can't think of much else. It, it had only, We didn't have uh, the water... They called it water, the, the fuel, metered fuel system for uh, smoke in, in the A4. We just had uh, smoke. We, we had an oil tank. It's like, like I said, 10 weight, real lightweight oil. And they had a little trouble getting that to work because the, the engine temperature was uh, a broader range. So they had to um, really work with it to get it to where it had smoke at all, a lot of more power settings. Not much else. They had uh, the, the, um, the, the wings were very, very sensitive, but it was wonderful for the rolls, vertical rolls. I mean, you, if you hit the, hit the corner, you hit it perfectly. I mean, it's 720 degrees a second. And we only do, what, six rolls. You were done in a second and a half or so, I mean, or, or two seconds. Usually it's four or five seconds. So I'm, but your head's, you got to cage your head because you're spinning so fast. And, uh, if you, and we, it came out that you, you had to wait until you were empty in the wings with fuel before you did those rolls. Because if you hit the, hit the corner with fuel in the wing, they would hydraulic out and it would, it would bust stringers. Vance Parker did it a couple of times. They had to replace one or two wings just because he did it perfectly. I mean, uh, it's pretty bad when you break the airplane by doing, doing something perfectly. But that's what would happen. Other than that, it was smaller. I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't reach things. Some guys, guys of your size, couldn't reach down to the radios. You had to reach across. It was, it was right up against my shoulders. Big guys, and it was fun to watch Josh Hansky get out. And it, was a, it was a hoot to watch him get in and out because he was so big. Um, I mean, the whole thing is only about this wide. It really worked apart. It felt, really felt apart. All right. Special thanks to Jerry Turkey Tucker for being a part of this podcast and allowing us to share an excerpt from a conversation we now had over three years ago. I know we touched on some very difficult topics, but Jerry was incredibly candid and I appreciate him allowing us to publish this. Now, if you want to learn more about Jerry's career, you can do so by going on the Fighter Pilot podcast where Jerry has an episode where he discusses his time flying the F-8 Crusader. You can also see a documentary that I created about Jerry Tucker's time on the Blue Angels on the Blue Angel Phantoms YouTube channel. So until next time, thank you so much for the support, and I look forward to talking to you real soon. 